Here we are, the last show podcast of the year 2022, and the last show of our seventh season, can you imagine? So to finish up, I'm going to share most of our hooks, our teasers. You know, that short little segment at the beginning of the show to get you to listen further, hopefully. So let's take a listen and see if we can come up with a perspective about the year. So, ready, set, January 6, 2022. Welcome to the Veterans for Peace Radio Hour and Podcast on Radio Free Nashville 107.1 and 103.7 and streaming live at RadioFreeNashville.org. So the current U.S. nuclear posture is all about maintaining nuclear superiority, being able to fight and win a major nuclear war and at least threaten to use nuclear weapons in response to non-nuclear attacks. Veterans for Peace has a totally different approach. We don't claim to be arms control experts. In fact, we reject the whole notion of arms control. We want to abolish nuclear weapons and eliminate the threat of nuclear war. That is why Veterans for Peace is presenting its own nuclear posture review. We propose that the U.S. nuclear posture should be one of providing leadership to rid the world of nuclear weapons, while at the same time taking affirmative steps to reduce the risk of nuclear war. That was Jerry Condon of Veterans for Peace, and today we will talk about the Nuclear Posture Review. No, no, not the one that Biden is working on right now, but a real one, one that takes into consideration the people, the planet, and peace. That was our first hook with Jerry Condon, and before we get to more, of course, my name is Jim Wolgamuth, and I'm here with fellow Vietnam veteran Harvey Bennett. We're members of Veterans for Peace. Veterans for Peace is an international organization of military veterans and allies. Its collective efforts are to build a culture of peace, humanity, equality, and justice. Just go to veteransforpeace.org. The show is on and podcast are on stations across the country. Thanks to the Pacifica Radio Network, are also on SoundCloud, Anchor, Spotify, and your phone podcast app. Just search Veterans for Peace. Veterans for Peace Radio Hour and Radio Free Nashville are supported in part by the Green Party of Tennessee, bringing some common sense in a bipolar world of American politics. Go to greenpartyoftennessee.org. While the mainstream media, YouTube, Twitter, and other platforms are censoring voices of activism and dissent, we will continue to share those voices, especially today. Those voices who stand up against the establishment, who stand up against the military, industrial, congressional, media, corporate complex, who stand up for us, the global us. So, as you listen to these hooks from the year 2022, remember, you can find the full shows by just going to SoundCloud or Spotify, probably the easiest way, and search Veterans for Peace. Then scroll to the show you want to hear. Okay, with that, January 13. I think it is very, very important for the rest of the world, including us in Japan and uh, Europe, Asia, everybody, to learn real historical background of nuclear. So for that purpose, I think this nuclear, nuclear posture that we that our group has going to publish is extremely important because this talks about true history that the mainstream media has been hiding and twisting and swaying from the main issues. So just by reading this uh, few pages documents, you understand what has been going on um, surrounding nuclear and what should be done, okay? And 
our country, the United States, is not such a hero like that our government wants to present themselves, okay? And um, yeah, for that reason, it's this extremely important document. That was Rachel Clark of Veterans for Peace and the Nuclear Abolition Working Group. And today she will join Alice Slater, who is also on the Nuclear Abolition Working Group and is a member of the board of World Beyond War. And David Swanson, Executive Director of World Beyond War, as we continue our discussion of the Veterans for Peace Nuclear Posture Review. January 20. The American people must have an opportunity to vote into oblivion those who cannot detach themselves from militarism. Of course, those were the words of Dr. Martin Luther King, and last Monday we celebrated his birth. Today we will remember and bring forward the words of Dr. King as we not only recognize his birth, but renew his legacy of being for peace against militarism and against nuclear weapons. January 27. He said, we're not going to make things in America anymore because it's cheaper for the corporations to go overseas, cheap labor. He said, our role will be security export. You're not complying with our demands, with our instructions. You must surrender your national sovereignty to us. Allow us to take over your economy, your banking system. And if you do that, fine. That was Bruce Gagnon, coordinator of the Global Network Against Weapons and Nuclear Power in Space. February 3rd. In my humble opinion, I don't see them actively supporting the agenda of the people. I I work with Black Nashville Assembly all last year, all of 2020, in the beginning of um, 2019. And the council just... They look at, they don't take them seriously. These Mm -hmm. are very bright, driven young people who are volunteering hours upon end to try to change the city for people who need the greatest support to sustain themselves here. Um, Change the way the city polices community of color. Change what should be happening in our in our schools to educate minority children, especially in the urban core, all the health care, all the things that we all should deem important. But the council does not seem to want to take these young people seriously. Um, yes, they are passionate, you know, and they've and, and they've got a lot of fire in them. That was Jackie Sims, activist, housing advocate, and executive director of PATH Nashville. And we're going to talk to her today and about issues, challenges, Biden, and lots of other issues as we begin our celebration of Black History Month, February 17. In response to Brown Board of Education, uh, Virginia enters this time period that becomes known as massive resistance. And so... We, we talk about mass resistance in this five-year period between 1955 and 1959 or so, where Virginia did everything in its power to resist the Brown decision. So during that time period, on top of a lot of other stuff, Virginia gives the power to the governor of Virginia to close down schools that were trying to desegregate. Okay, that was Kanan Townsend of the Moton Museum 
in Farmville, Virginia. And we're going to hear more from Canaan and Witness to History Bob Hamlin as we continue to celebrate and honor Black History Month as we study and reveal what happened in Prince Edward County, Virginia, that changed the country. February 24th. I think what's like more insidious about the laws is that um, the way that they're framed makes them almost sound good. Um, those the first few of the um, the points that you're not allowed to teach are about like not teaching that groups are inherently better than others, um, things like that. But but what they mean by that is that you're not allowed to say that privilege exists, um, that you're not allowed to say that implicit bias exists. So that's where they actually are harmful. That was a Tennessee teacher, and she will join friend of the show, Timothy Hughes, as we discuss critical race theory. March 3rd. We will prevent any power from even aspiring to be a regionally dominant power, to uh, be completely sovereign, that not ha- does not allow U.S. troops to occupy it. <clears throat> Russia and China fit, fill that bill, especially China, and so now Russia and China are targeted. We say that. We, we don't make any bones about it. And so I think we also have to see everything that happened since, since the, the, uh, the collapse of the Soviet Union in that light. That was John Walsh, peace activist and author, and we'll be discussing Russia, NATO, and the U.S. with lots of information you may not have known or may have forgotten. March 10. Why would the U.S., knowing that its own assessment is that it would create a civil war in Ukraine. Why did they go forward with this? Why did they do it? And the only answer you can can conclude with is they wanted a civil war in Ukraine. They wanted a civil war in Ukraine because it creates a pretext for the US moving Ukraine into NATO. That was Brian Becker, peace activist, podcaster, and national coordinator of the Answer Coalition. March 17. The the language they use, which I regard as very dangerous, escalate to de-escalate. That's the language. In other words, you escalate by using a nuclear weapon or several, small yield. Of course, we would have no idea what the yield of the weapons were. All we would know is a nuclear weapon. And then you stop and you uh, expect the other side to pull up short and not use nuclear weapons in response. Well. It could work, but uh, it's a big bet. I mean, I wouldn't want to bet the future of the world on that kind of doctrine. That was Ted Postel, March 24. The main story is this remarkable young man. And you see him transitioning from donkey to bicycle to motorbike, from cave to house to slightly bigger house. I mean, things you know change, but there's a lot of humor. You know, his brother complains that he's Amir gets his first mobile phone. He's using it to ring girls in Kabul. And, you know, you can't, can't be doing that. Got to stop that. That was award-winning documentarian Phil Grabsky. And we will hear more from Phil and about his latest film, My Childhood, My Country, 20 Years in Afghanistan. March 31. I, I think the truth will get you banned these days. <laughs> Exactly. I, I mean, the fact is that I, I, I have been shadow banned for many years now because, you know, the things that I say don't fit with 
you know, what is supposed to be said. And so there's been quite a bit of shadow banning. It's actually hard to find my work. That was the controversial K.J. No. April 7th. We've also been taking this, and local organizers have been taking this, to their city councils, uh, to county boards, to, in some cases, state legislators, and, and saying and putting them into the form of a resolution and asking that city to vote on that resolution. And what that does is, one, we're talking to, we're going out. We're not standing waiting for whoever's walking by. We're going out. We're making, we're, we're talking to people who we don't usually talk to. We're talking to city leaders. Um, and we have all been blown away by the success. We've had Baltimore was the first major city to come on, then Los Angeles, Washington, D.C., Tucson, Salt Lake City. And, and so slowly, you know, but surely, and I think we're, we're picking up speed now because um, now cities can see that 58 have, have done so, that they're joining something. They're not sticking their necks out. Um, so we're picking up speed in terms of being able to demonstrate uh, public public uh, support for this and then build political will to actually do something about it. That was Denise Duffield, Associate Director of Physicians for Social Responsibility, Los Angeles. And as such, she is the administrator and directs its Nuclear Threats Program, which advocates for health, protective policies related to nuclear weapons and nuclear energy. April 14th. What is your acceptable risk level that this ongoing escalation may reach a level where the result is a nuclear war? Yep, that was Harvey with a question, which we will not even try to answer. But we will try to point out the failures of the mainstream media, the good and honest efforts of numerous independent media, and what is looming if we do not get this right. April 21st. It's been really disappointing to see people in the United States so fooled. You know, we're always lied into wars and you think people would start to see that pattern, right? But they're not seeing it here and they're being fooled into this, into this support for uh, Ukraine as if, you know, Russia is this evil, terrible country and the Ukrainians are fighting for their democracy and all that, instead of seeing the actual picture of Ukraine being used by the United States and, and the Ukrainian people being sacrificed for the United States. But we need a strong anti-war movement in this country that really demands that the U.S. government back down and, and step away and allow Ukraine and Russia to negotiate their agreement. It sounds like at times Zelensky is moving towards saying, yes, Ukraine will be neutral, but let's have some kind of security agreement. But the U.S. doesn't want to tolerate that because we're fighting, you know, fighting through them. That was our special guest, Margaret Flowers, podcaster, author, candidate, activist, and oh yeah, pediatrician. April 28th. The women who went to the rooftop were molested they use these clubs with nails in the tip that um, they would just hit. Women had their hands broken. Of the six women who were attacked, one um, said as they were breaking her fingers that um, she was told that she will never raise a flag again. Um, because that's one of the things they do on the rooftop is they raise the Western Saharan flag. It's a hugely important part of the struggle, their flag. The days after that attack, 
um, which prevented these women who have been protesting in solidarity with Sultana. Um, she went up on the roof and installed flagpole holders to hold the flags up for every woman who could no longer join her. That was our special guest, Adrian Kinney, former president of Veterans for Peace, who was recently in Western Sahara to break a siege and help a hero gain some temporary freedom and also share her story. May 5th. Of the great mobilization of Hispanic-speaking Americans, which is the largest mobilization in North America ever, especially in Chicago and in L.A. And that's a tradition we need to... We, that helped us remember what May Day really is, that how it began at Haymarket. Because it was Spanish workers in Mexico, Spanish workers in the plantations and mines and factories who maintained the story of Los Martires, of the martyrs, when we in North America had forgotten it. That was Peter Leinbaugh, professor of history and author of the incomplete, true, authentic, and wonderful history of May Day. May 12th. And Biden, who is supposedly a climate champion, he's increasing the military budget. That's going to increase emissions. But just looking at the Department of Defense budget that Biden put out there for 2023, it goes up to 7.9 or 7. 195 billion, just the Department of Defense. That's a 4% increase. Mm -hmm. And then in 2024, he's looking at a 3% increase to 822 billion. Mm -hmm. uh, and then 2025, up to 837 billion. That was Jim Ryan of Veterans for Peace and the Climate Crisis and Militarism Project. May 19th. I mean, we have watched so many of our friends crushed uh, and made to feel really terrible when all they have done really is stand up for people who are being flattened. I mean, people who are being bombed, people who are being shot to pieces, people whose houses are being destroyed. That was Alice Walker, activist, poet, and author. And we will hear more from a webinar, Stand with Alice Walker, which features Alice. May 26th. This is the Thursday before Memorial Day. Today we will reflect on those referenced in the poem, those who mostly survived and only somewhat died because the number of those that continue to suffer from the effects of war, both physical and psychologically, psychological, far outseed those remembered with headstones and names etched on a wall. Today we have Michael and Cynthia Orange, both authors. Michael has written two books, Fire in the Hole and Embracing the Ghosts, PTSD and the Vietnam Quagmire. Cynthia has written, Take Good Care, Sing Your Own Song, New Life, New Friends, Making and Keeping Relationships in Recovery, and the Nautilus Award-winning book, Shockwaves, A Practical Guide to Living with a Loved One's PTSD. They're, help, they're here to help us for, reflect on Memorial Day and will share their own stories of PTSD and the care of someone with PTSD. June 9th. I was a racketeer, a gangster for capitalism, 
I helped make Mexico and especially Tampico safe for American oil interests in 1914. I helped make Haiti and Cuba a decent place for the National City Bank boys to collect revenues in. I helped in the raping of half a dozen Central American republics for the benefit of Wall Street. I helped purify Nicaragua for the International Banking House of Brown Brothers in 1912. I brought light to the Dominican Republic for the American sugar interests in 1916. I helped make Honduras right for the American fruit companies in 1903. In, in China in 1927, I helped see to it that Standard Oil went on its way unmolested. Looking back on it, I might have given Al Capone a few hints. The best he could do was to operate his racket in three districts. I operated on three continents. That was Dr. Bill Earhart quoting Smedley Butler. And we will hear more from Bill and his discussion about Smedley Butler, racketeering for Wall Street, and U.S. imperialism. June 16. And, and, and we have to prove ourselves to be honestly open to younger veterans. Again, right back to the founding principles of the organization. We want you to use your experience in the military in a positive way, right? Most of us join this organization because we're angry, right? And we're upset and with stuff like that. And that's justified. But we want to use our experiences to educate young people. So we turn to young veterans who are just beginning their careers and raising young families and ask that question. Do you want your children to go through what you went through? And if not, join us. That was Doug Rawlings, co-founder of Veterans for Peace, and he will be joined by Susan Schnall, the president of Veterans for Peace, as we talk Veterans for Peace, our history, the work we are doing now, and the vision we have for the future. June 23rd. They were called Jesus Rifles. The Department of Defense had contracted with Trigicon, which makes um, uh, you know, night vision uh, sites for rifles. Well, Trigicon is a Christian company and they inscribe a Bible verse reference on all of their products, including the ones that the DOD bought that went over to, uh, that they were training the Afghan forces with. So they're training Muslims. And you know, people say, oh, they didn't know, they wouldn't know what it meant. And they said, oh, they knew what it meant. Calling it, this is your Jesus rifle. If you run out of bullets, you hit them with your Jesus rifle. And this is this is within earshot of, of the um, Afghan people that are working on the military bases. That was Chris Rhoda. She is a senior research director for the Military Religious Freedom Foundation and the author of Liars, for Jesus, the Religious Rights Alternative Version of American History. June 30th. We have breath to breathe or strength to give. We are the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival. And together with our allies, we won't be silent anymore. is simply right. We've come to put a face and a voice on these numbers of poverty to show that behind them, inside them, are real people and real lives. They are us. We are them. And we won't be silent anymore. The very fact that these realities exist 
means, Dr. West, that we are engaged in a moment that is constitutionally inconsistent, morally indefensible, politically insensitive, economic and economically insane. As the great prophet of the Harlem Renaissance declared, we must take back our mighty land again. America has never been America to me, but we swear this oath that America will be. That was Dr. Reverend William Barber at the Poor People's Campaign Rally in D.C. on the 18th of June. And we will hear more from Dr. Barber and many others. So you're listening to our retrospective of 2022. And if any of these shows um, are catching your eye, I want you to hear more. You can find them both on SoundCloud and Spotify. All you have to do is go to SoundCloud.com or if you have Spotify, just search Veterans for Peace and then scroll through until you find the show you're looking for. Uh, This is just all our shows from uh, 2022 as far as the hook, the teaser. So, let's get back to it as we face the second half of the year. July 7th. So today, we are going to give you another resource, an alternative to the mainstream media and the MSNBC neoliberal discourse. Today, we're going to share with you Peace and Planet News, which you can find at peaceandplanetnews.org. You can find articles, videos, poems, songs, and more. July 14th. This conclusion was in the face of the catastrophic risks posed by nuclear weapons and in the interest of the very survival of humanity, we will not rest until the last state has joined the treaty, the last warhead has been dismantled and destroyed, and nuclear weapons have been totally eliminated from the face of the earth. That was Ralph Hutchison of the Oak Ridge Environmental Peace Alliance. You will hear more from Ralph as he joined the Veterans for Peace No Nukes group to update us on the status of the meeting of states parties, the first meeting of states parties of the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. The UN Treaty went into force on January 22nd, 2021. July 21st. Biden ran for office. He he seemed to be pretty strong on protecting the VA, but based on the recommendations that came from the secretary, it was just a continuation of privatizing the VA, of outsourcing VA services to uh, the private sector. The secretary's recommendation of the Air Commission, 30 medical VA medical centers would have lost inpatient medical and surgical service. Over 15 VA medical centers uh, would have closed their emergency room. There was proposal to close 17 existing Uh, medical centers. There was another 10 medical centers were supposed to be closed and then there were going to be replacement facilities built, but they would have had reduced functions. They wouldn't have been full medical centers. 10 new medical centers were supposed to be built that currently do not exist. And then finally, 11 medical centers would have simply been closed with no replacement facilities. The estimated cost of doing this is $200 billion. It is extremely unlikely Congress would appropriate $200 billion to build these facilities. That was Bruce Carruthers, and Bruce will be here to update us on some good news. July 28th. It's a country like Cuba, a third world country that takes it upon itself to add uh, solutions in in the grand scheme of things, rather than take away um, and exploit 
people or, or their resources. And so for us, when we think about our experience at, at Elam, at the Latin American School of Medicine, we know that we're a continuation of that legacy of trying to bring long-term solutions to, to grave problems, problems that our people, uh, traditionally speaking, those of us from the global south, were never responsible for. That was Dr. Samir Adre, a 2020 graduate of the Latin American School of Medicine in Cuba. August 4th. And this is based on our you know, annual nuclear war games mm -hmm. called Global Thunder, and we do it every year. And we found a, a statement by General John Hyten, who was the commander of the U.S. Strategic Command at the time, talking about these exercises. And, and you know, I had given up trying to find out anything about them because if you Google Global Thunder, you will see every year the Pentagon's PR <laughs> statement. And that's all you see. There's no independent analysis or, or investigation of these exercises. So anyway, John Hyten gave an address to the Arms Control Association 2018 uh, not too long after one of, one of their annual global thunder exercises. And what he said is, you cannot control, you cannot prevent escalation once you have nuclear weapon that has been used. And he said, we've tried, you know, every year, we've, we've run all these war games and simulations. And, and he said, and it ends the same way every time. It ends bad. That was Harvey, and today we're going to start our discussion on how you can talk to your neighbors or give a presentation to a group on the clear and present danger of nuclear weapons. August 11th. Dear President Biden, we, members of Veterans for Peace, who are concerned about the growing possibility of nuclear war, have researched and written our own nuclear posture review with the goal of reducing the risk of nuclear war and ultimately eliminating all nuclear weapons. Because your own nuclear posture review has not yet been released, we strongly encourage you to put it on hold while you review the nuclear posture review of Veterans for Peace. That was Jerry Condon of Veterans for Peace reading a small portion of the Veterans for Peace open letter demanding that the president review our nuclear posture review before he issues his own. And you will hear the whole letter and Jerry's commentary August 18th. Uh, as uh, Daniel Ellsberg, who uh, was the lead author of U.S. nuclear warfighting doctrine uh, under uh, uh, Kennedy, Johnson, and briefly Nixon, as he said, the notion common to nearly all Americans that no nuclear weapons have been used since Nagasaki is mistaken. Again and again, generally in secret from the American public, U.S. nuclear weapons have been used in the precise way that a gun is used when you point it at someone's head in direct confrontation, whether or not the trigger is pulled. That was Joseph Gerson, president of the Campaign for Peace, Disarmament, and Common Security, and vice president of the International Peace Bureau. Since 1976, he has served the American Friends Service Committee as director of the Peace and Economic Security Program. August 25th. But let's talk about the military, which is the largest consumer of hydrocarbons in the world and one of 
if not the largest polluting entity in the world. Turning that workspace that Lillian mentioned into a place that a lot of different college students can come into to start learning more about how we looked into this and what kind of research we did and what kind of numbers we ran so that they can imitate this. That was Rosie Kahn, and you will hear more from Rosie and her colleague Lillian Malden of Women for Weapons Trade Transparency and their efforts to push their university, University of Texas, to divest from the war industry and to find out how you can push your university to do the same. September 1st. The Roger Waters This Is Not a Drill concert is just starting. And we'll just listen to the rumble for a second. Convention from war making to peace seeking, walking the talk about transformative justice as we move from a blaming and shaming culture to one that encourages cooperation, understanding, forgiveness. That was Susan Schnall, president of Veterans for Peace, welcoming us to the Veterans for Peace online conference. September 15th. The public was furious at the arrest of the crew of the Golden Earl because everybody wanted these tests to stop. Radiation was blowing around in the atmosphere, getting into babies' teeth and bones, and people were like, what's going on? Mother's milk and cow's milk and contaminating our planet. And people just wanted this all to stop. The voyage of the Golden Rule helped spark an increased movement to get this testing stopped. President Kennedy deciding to sign the limited test ban treaty of 1963. The tactic of using a vote for protest was taken up by Greenpeace. That was Helen Jacquard, and that's right. The Veterans for Peace sailboat, the Golden Rule, is underway. And you'll hear from Helen, the National Coordinator of the Golden Rule Project, and Jerry Condon, former president of Veterans for Peace and now coordinator of the No Nukes Working Group as we talk about the Golden Rule Great Loop Project and much more. September 22nd. Uh, Countless studies that show that the VHA delivers superior care to veterans at lower cost. Congress, the right-wing funded Koch brothers, group concerned veterans for america and there and there are many other groups that the coke's fought coke funds uh because they want to defeat they want to tarnish the reputation of government and the they want to promote the notion that government can do no good in the private sector no harm um basically um the congress had has ignored these studies has ignored the evidence 
and has pushed a series of pro-privatization initiatives. That was Suzanne Gordon, author, activist, and we will hear more from Suzanne and Donald Cohen and Bruce Carruthers as we revisit the Veterans for Peace Conference and the session on the attempts to privatize the VA. October 6th. To say that the Indian Child Welfare Act is unconstitutional, that will open up adoptions of thousands of Indian children by non-Indian families. And as far as I'm concerned, it will be a step in the direction of genocide. That was Albert Bender, indigenous activist in Tennessee. October 13. We, we were thinking the likelihood of being injured in that incident was small, but we were willing to take that risk. And we were also going to, to leave the tracks if the train just kept coming. We were prepared to do that. That was George Taylor, retired Presbyterian minister and vice president of the Veterans for Peace Chapter 35 from Spokane, Washington. And October 20. I think Russia's idea was we can, we can scare Ukraine into neutrality, if I could put it that way. That was the original idea of, of the invasion. And I think it was a desperate move, but I think the motivating factor of the move was that the U.S. was heavily arming Ukraine and threatening Russian security, and Russia could not get U.S. attention. That was Professor Jeffrey Sachs, who has been making the media rounds, and we wanted to share his words and our take on his words. October 27. Over those years, I have to say, they've been on both sides more prudent than I expected, which is to say, I didn't think we'd be here when I was working on these things in the late 50s. So they weren't as reckless as I as I thought they would be. And yet, they both have built up the doomsday machines, and they have both refrained from dismantling them. That was Daniel Ellsberg talking to Brooklyn for Peace. And you will hear more and some good news. November 3rd. I foresee that um, Korea, Taiwan, the South China Sea, Russia, all of these things, uh, the heat will continue to increase. Mm. And once again, we're in very, very dangerous times. That was KJ No, and he rejoins the show to give us an update on all the geopolitical situations in Asia. November 10. You know, it's been changed to Veterans Day to really promote nationalism and to to really pe pe perpetuate war instead of honoring peace. It's used to glorify war and, and build this hero worship around veterans and this veteran exceptionalism uh, and this American exceptionalism that only extends war and builds a war culture in America that is is severely damaging, not just to people all around the globe that un unwantonly hosts military aggression by the United States, but I think it hurts us domestically in a really large way as well. Mm -hmm. It's kind of interesting how all of this is, is very obvious, like the second you just take a minute to just question it, um, it really just, it, it kind of is glaring at you. Um, you know, thank you for your service, but like why? Mm -hmm. Shouldn't you be thanking us for like, promoting peace, you know, helping people, not really what's happening. Those were the words of Garrett Rebenhagen, Executive Director of Veterans for Peace, and Kesley Carrion, Veterans for Peace media person, as we discuss reclaiming Armistice Day and the celebration and honoring of peace. November 17. 
The suicide rates have been growing pretty much every year. And we, we, we should be just absolutely in a state of emergency um, about all of this. So that is, I think, the most alarming expression of moral injury. That was Dr. Kelly Denton Borhog talking about moral injury. November 24. We expected to launch our missiles. We got beyond thinking if we get the order. Uh -huh. We were thinking when. Oh, wow. When are we going to get the order? Mm. I was thinking that I'm going to survive. You know, I'm going to live through this. But at the same time, I realized that my world was going to be destroyed. That was Charles Powell, Air Force veteran, member of Veterans of Peace, and veteran of the Cuban Missile Crisis. December 8. I can't even imagine in a situation like we are all in, when climate, we're at the very last stages of, of this climate catastrophe, that we can't even get language to phase down climate emissions from fossil fuels. I mean, it's, it's, it's really devastating. That was Cindy Peister, a member of Veterans for Peace and the Climate Action Group, who was at COP27 December 15. In the old joke, the Russian sitting by an American on an airplane says he's on the way to the U.S. to study its propaganda techniques. And the American asks, what propaganda techniques? And the Russian replies, exactly. That was David Swanson of World Beyond War. And we will hear more from him and from William Astori, author and activist, as part of a recent webinar hosted by the War Industry Resistors Network, discussing the killers of truth. Of course, the media. And then, of course, last week we remembered the Christmas truce. You don't fight and we won't fight. We can sleep in peace this Christmas night. The war is over by the truth's decree. So dead and fight and we all agree. What are we gonna do come the morning light? You don't fight and we won't fight. We can meet halfway on the bloody ice. Come Bradley Bonds with no arms drawn. I'm wondering whose side we're on. Got a flask of something strong and I'm sharing it with friends tonight. You don't fight, we won't fight. Can bury our dead and honor them right I'll pray for you and you'll pray for me And we'll redefine bravery I'm strong and I'm proud But I ain't gonna take a lie You don't fight and we won't fight I got half your man right in my sight But I've seen your life and I've seen your day So I'm aiming right above your head The world's gone mad But I ain't gonna take a lie
won't fight, and we won't fight. This courage lasts past Christmas night. What will they say in a hundred years when they look back on what happened here? What are we gonna do come the morning light? What are we gonna do come the morning light? That was Fenya. So, did you hear that line? War is over by the troops' decree. And if you heard last week's show, you know that the troops and the civilians managed to stop the war. And not only in 1914, but in other years and on other fronts. And apparently others were listening because over a thousand clergy just wrote a letter to Biden saying we ought to have a Christmas truce like they did in 1914. So let's get Harvey in and see what he thinks about our year of shows. (laughs) <laughs> what really impressed me was the number of shows we had addressing the nuclear threat and the nuclear posture review, the war and that nuclear threat, uh, of course, the Cuban Missile Crisis. <laughs> we had probably close to 10 shows just on nuclear issues. And I think that's perfectly appropriate. <laughs> if you wanted to hear anything about the danger of nuclear war, you were out of luck if you were listening to CNN or NBC, MSNBC or any of the mainstream media. Uh, and, you know, we had KJ on twice. And yeah. He always provides <laughs> great insights on what we're doing, especially with regard to Asia. He gives us an early warning and then it happens and we have another show for him to talk about. <laughs> yeah. what I just worry because he predicted that things are only going to get worse. Yeah. It leads us into 2023 with some trepidation like what now especially since we continue to escalate our arming of ukraine well i went to the uh, i had a dentist appointment yesterday so i happened to see time magazine the man of the year cover have you seen the cover i don't even want to look at the cover (laughs) i mean that's the only way i would see it would be in a waiting room because i don't grab or anything so let me see is somebody wearing a green sweatshirt <laughs> it was just <clears throat> pure hagiography hey, i mean it it could have been like a nativity scene with it <laughs> zelensky is mary or jesus or whatever joseph i just couldn't get over how they just made this person into some you know object of devotion or some crap i know and and that's the way people talk about him I know, I know he's a he's a hero and it just drives me crazy that he goes and speaks in front of the US Congress in his green sweatshirt mm-hmm. and people like it. Yeah. I mean and all I can think back is Charles de Gaulle in a green sweatshirt. No. <laughs> um uh Winston Churchill in a in a green sweatshirt. Even Fidel. Fidel. <laughs> Fidel, I can imagine in a green sweatshirt, yeah. and he's got and he's got Che Guevara, an image of Che Guevara on the on the front, blocking so, a chick. I just don't get that we have come to the point where this little guy in a green sweatshirt is being elevated to this point, and I I just think it's really really dangerous. Well, it's worse than dangerous. I mean, we're living in the middle of it. It's already happening. What's happening? 
is in itself just horrendous, just death and destruction and what, 13 million refugees and horrendous suffering. And uh, of course, but, you know, there was horrendous suffering for eight years since the uh, 2014 mm-hmm. coup, which uh, unseated the elected president and East, eastern Ukraine, the Donbass and those regions that voted for Yanukovych and, you know, large majorities, 80 to 90 percent Yanukovych. And all of a sudden he's gone. And they say, well, we'll just go our own way. We started the civil war. Exactly. I think it was Margaret Flowers who really pointed out how we continue to neglect what led up to what is going on. The culpability of the United States and NATO with regard to aggravating this. And, you know, the mainstream media still is hesitant to say anything but unprovoked. Yeah. I wonder how unprovoked it would be if we did something in response to uh, missile batteries and, and Mexico aimed at us and, or even Guatemala or oh sure Cuba. Cuba. Well, we know what would happen in Cuba because it already happens. And it was everything that JFK could do to keep, keep the generals from invading yeah. Cuba. Yeah. I listened to uh, someone on NPR interviewing a woman about Zelensky's visit and what he was asking for. And she would ask questions like, is there a limit? What's the limit here? What what won't they do? And and uh, she was hemming and hawing and talking about Biden is committed to doing whatever is necessary. You know, and then they finally afterwards they identify her as some senior level person in the National Security Council. So you know, this is this is journalism. It's is you know providing a platform. For the government to tell you what they want you to th- know and what they want you to think. <laughs> exactly. Is that what the founders uh, had in mind when they enshrined freedom of the press? I really don't think so. And when Zelensky is over here, and I think he asked for long-range missiles mm-hmm. so he can hit targets in Russia. And what's the worst that could happen? What could go wrong? Right. Yeah. We supply long-range missiles, maybe jets, and these Ukrainian fighters fly into and bomb Moscow. This continues with this drip, drip, drip of slight escalation that hardly anybody notices. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, it's, and it's so... Uh, and where's it lead? <clears throat> yeah. It, uh, it's just contradiction and counterintuitive that, you know, Russia is portrayed as completely yeah, pathetic and disorganized and the troops are not even trained and all that. But on the other hand, Ukraine, it's okay for them to keep dying and all that because the future of Europe is, you know, if they don't stop Russia, they'll go on and take what other countries. And on the, on the one hand, Russia is a hapless, incompetent bunch of brutes. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, they're this horrendous uh, existential threat to all of Europe. And Domino theory part two. Which is it? We did a decent job staying out in front of the uh, mainstream media with regard to uh, the people we had on the show, the clips oh, yeah. we got from others. Yeah, um, You've heard me say over and over, what's it going to take to change things? Because I've always had such immense questioning, disappointment, I don't know what you want to call it, since Vietnam, because I was sure that our generation, our baby boom generation, would never let it happen again, would never get us involved to the extent militarily that we were in Vietnam. I thought we would have learned our lesson 
and I keep questioning it and questioning it. And then the show that really smacked me was when Dr. Kelly Denton Borhog talking about war culture mm-hmm. and moral and moral injury. Yeah. Because with all the great shows we had and all the great activists and scholars, visionaries that we had on the show, with all of their pleas begging for us to do something and our pleas, yours and mine, to get to the public to do something. Dr. Kelly pointed pinpointed to me that our biggest stumbling block, our biggest challenge is our war culture and how entrenched it is and how linked to Christianity it is. <laughs> and I'm thinking, yeah. we, how do we get out of this? And, and so I'm just looking around and everywhere I turn, I'm thinking, okay, that's war culture that that's relating it to Christianity somehow. I mean, I'm surprised we don't have little nativity scenes with Jesus with a sword or an M16 land given to by one of the, 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 um, the shepherd boys coming up. And so, I mean, it's, it, that's, that's the one where I'm thinking, how do we get through this, our own war culture? Because whether we started it and I don't think we did, I think the, the, the colonists brought it with them from England. Uh, Just the, just the constant, warring and warrior and elevating warriors until we can stop elevating these folks to that level and if we ever get her back on the show i'd like to say is there a country which doesn't have a war culture none of them that can measure up to what we have oh that's for sure even if they have the culture they don't devote the majority of their national treasury into pursuing you know so many of the people we had on we're talking about like Jerry at the very beginning and the nuclear posture review, we had a great nuclear posture review, but was anybody going to read it with, because it made common sense. It argued against the war culture, even if it doesn't say exactly that. And then the other speakers along the way pointing out where the war culture was aggravating the situation, either historically or right now. Uh, Jeffrey Sachs pointing out that we we blew up the uh, the pipeline. Got to maintain the war culture, and yeah. it seeps into everything. And that still is is a story that is taboo. Exactly. There yeah. was a there was a statement buried somewhere that uh, it wasn't Russian. Investigation could not find any evidence of Russian involvement. Yeah, and you know they looked. They you know you know they must have turned over every. Yeah, trying to find some sort of just and no, no, no one ever talks about what are the plausible actors here who, who had access to that pipeline at that place with the type of resources it took to do that and, and who the, had the motive. Yeah, right. Who did it benefit? Russia was selling that gas. Right. Yeah, they had control over it. They could turn it off any time they wanted. They could turn it on anytime they wanted. Yeah. And why would they take away that ability? So where are we going to go in 2023, Harvey? Well, I think it's going to depend on where the country goes. Where's the country going? I think we're going to be busy as usual. I don't see much hope for the peace movement to be making any inroads. You always try to be optimistic. And I'm give people I'm, something they could do, you know. Yeah, give some people something to do. And I'm I'm finding the black the dark cloud on a on a sunny day. So yeah. I, you know, 2021 was pretty rough. 2022 was worse. 
I think and, a big story in 2023 is probably going to be the recession because there's going to be a lot of angry people that are hurting and it's probably going to be spreading to uh, at least Europe as well. Of course, you know, the people that are already hurting in the global south, well, no one's going to write a story about that. So, <laughs> No, no, they're here. They're here to serve. And so there were the snippets of most of the shows from our year 2022. Did you get any perspective? I'm not sure I did. The only thing I can really put my finger on is an unresponsive and irresponsible corporate government complex that is willing to continue to damage the hopes and dreams of the ordinary who are willing to keep wars going, keep burning fossil fuels. But I suppose we also heard those voices who are willing to identify and call out the culprits who are leading us individually and collectively off a militaristic, capitalistic climate cliff. So, what do we do now? Well, let's turn to John Lennon for an answer. After all, the war is over if we want it to be. Happy New Year. So this is Christmas And what have you done Another year over And a new one just begun And so this is Christmas I hope you have fun The Have we?